Imagine telling your children and your grandchildren that in this time and in this place, we came together. Imagine change unconstrained by our individual understandings of what's possible. This is all of us on WNHH, New Haven's independent radio station 103.5. I'm Greg Grinberg. Today, we're talking about the new level of activation and civic and community engagement and participation in New Haven following the election. My guest is Valerie Horsley, Associate Professor in Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology at Yale and founder of Action Together New Haven, and an incredibly cool person if you haven't had a chance to say hello. Since the day after the election, Action Together has been one of the four groups in New Haven organizing community conversations and hoping to turn our collective feelings following the election into collective action. Valerie, thanks so much for being on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to start with, um, why don't we just talk a little bit about how Action Together New Haven got started? Like, what's the backstory? Yeah, so um, the, the, the other state leaders that um, are working with us now, we were all on social media after the day after the election um, and despairing about the results um, of Hillary Clinton losing. Mm. And we really wanted to try to figure out a way that we could um, kind of mobilize the network that was formed on Pantsuit Nation um, into a national movement. Mm. And so several state groups emerged from that platform. um, And we organized it in Connecticut into a statewide coalition of county chapters. Great. And that and that started that that literally was the day after the election. The day after. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that day myself. That was actually the, the first day that I did this show, and it was supposed to be a one-time thing. And then, it, you know, it's, these ha- things have a way of snowballing in these kind of moments of crisis. That's you know? right. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess a crisis is, in some sense, sort of a terrible thing to waste. Hmm. Yeah. So, so, so far, what has uh, I, I know? Action Together has, along with um, what now and the New Haven Deltas and another group at Yale, the, you know, been sort of one of the four kind of groups convening these community conversations. What have you guys? You know, why don't we sort of like come up to the present? Like, what have you guys been up to so far? Yeah. So um, we've been since November having monthly meetings um, of the group of people that mostly organized on Facebook. Um, and we've had meetings where we've talked about um, what can we do post-election? How can we um, use our despair into action? Mm. Um, we've also um, been focusing initially on immigration because this seemed like a very hot and um, necessary focal point at the beginning. Um, and so in December, we had Chris George from Iris come speak to our monthly meeting And we also organized a fundraiser um, in which we formed a team for the Iris run in February. Um, And we were the top team. We raised over $12,000 as a team for for Iris um, for the race in February. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Just for the the listeners who don't know, can you go into a little bit about what Iris is? Yeah. So Iris is um, an immigration and refugee service organization. Um, that seeks to support immigrants and refugees when they come into the U.S. Um, because basically once they enter into the U.S., there's no one here to welcome them or support them. And so Iris um, finds a place for them to live, gives them the necessary clothing and other kind of things that they might need to be successful here, as well as fostering their um, you know, in- entrance into the education system for their children, as well as finding jobs for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually really glad to be at that event um, when uh, I, I thought that Chris did a really terrific job of dispelling the the, the absolute falsehoods um, being um, you know promulgated by the administration about what what uh, what refugees have to go through in terms of. Um, you know, you know, when they come here through the refugee program. Um, that- yeah, I was really surprised at how um, meticulous mm-hmm. and really in depth the the screening process is and how long it takes really two years for most refugees to be able to come to the U.S., yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the MO of the administration seems to be sort of like to, first of all, completely downplay the reality, which is that extreme vetting is extreme. I mean, it was this two year process and, and the way that, um, you know, the, the way that Chris was able to sort of take us through through the eyes of a, a refugee family. Um, you know, the, the multiple rounds of questioning and repeated questioning and sort of it's almost a presumption that they are doing something wrong or a presumption that they that there's some reason why they shouldn't be allowed into the country. And then if they overcome all that, then they can finally come here. Um, you know, meanwhile, you know, the, M- the MO of the administration seems to be to sort of downplay all that and then uh, try to use the, the one or two examples if they can find them of a particular immigrant group doing something here that, that we don't like. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was great to to hear about um, the work that Iris was doing and and to really support them, um, because the even though the the refugee recruitment um, under the current um, what we are calling the Muslim ban by mm. the Trump administration is reducing accurate. They're reducing the number of refugees um, to 50,000 that the U.S., um, down from 110,000 that the Obama administration had um, been allowing into the um, country. I think, you know, we're still going to need to support those 50,000 refugees. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, advocate for immigration and and refugees in general. Yeah. I I think the other point that Chris made at that, at that gathering was that it's not as if the Obama administration was, was like particularly welcoming in the no, first place. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, given the Syrian refugee crisis and how Europe is dealing with it, I mean, Germany has just been flooded with all of these refugees um, that are coming in from all sides of it. And I think, you know, we really should be supporting this um, really troubled part of the, the world um, much better than we are. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, especially as the, as the grandson of two Holocaust survivors, I, you know, absolutely couldn't agree. And I'm kind of appalled by how, how quickly we forget um, right. as, a, as a country in terms of our policies. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. So, so you've been focusing on, on immigration and, and, and certainly bringing community members together to, you know, I, I, what, I, what I think is remarkable about this particular time, and I, I could, I'm curious if you agree, is that I, I, don't, I don't see the ga- even the, the, the one gathering that you were talking about with, with Chris from Iris. I, I have a hard time imagining that happening, maybe with hundreds of people coming out to activity on, you know, what was it, a Wednesday night or something? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, I, don't see, I don't see that happening before the election in the world that we were living in before the election. No, definitely not. I mean, I think people are, are really afraid um, ab- about the policies and the rhetoric that they're hearing from our government. And they have to do something with that fear. Um, and they want to try to fix it, um, as do I. And so, mm. um, so I think that's, you know, where this interest and engagement is coming from. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit more about the action piece of action together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, 
Um, what we're trying to do um, th- with Action Together Connecticut is provide a platform for people that are very busy in their everyday lives to engage with the political system. Mm. And, um, you know, we're pretty fortunate in Connecticut that at the federal level, we have really great representatives that are resisting Trump. So, you know, our senators, Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal, Mm. as well as um, our House of Representatives here in New Haven, Rosa DeLauro, you know, they're always speaking out pretty strongly against these policies that the Trump administration um, is um, putting down. And so I think in that case, you know, while they do need to hear from us and need to hear that we support these efforts that they're making, I think um, we've as a group decided that our focal point is, is better spent thinking about how we support legislation in the state of Connecticut because not only will mm-hmm. that help us as Connecticut residents um, defend against any federal laws that are being placed uh, across the, the country, but it will also allow us to engage um, and more directly influence legislation that will support our, our um, lives here in Connecticut. And so we've been um, going to Hartford and testifying um, on legislation for um, the $15 minimum wage bill for mm. paid family leave um, and those sorts of, of legislative pieces that many of the the New Haven representatives, Martin Looney, um, Roland Lamar, um, as well as some of the Hamden delegation, Gary Winfield um, and Robin Porter have been um, putting forth in Hartford this year. Yeah, I mean, and I think we're, we're so lucky to have the delegation that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just sort of thinking back to um, to another event that 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 actually we co-organized. Right, um, right, exactly. Um, the, which is a legislative forum uh, where we had eight members of, of the legislature show up, including Robin Porter and Gary Winfield and Roland Lamar, mm-hmm. Matt Lesser and, uh, you know, and, 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 and so many others and. Yeah, that was a great, great forum because I think for for me, it really opened my eyes to um, where we could have impact. Mm. Um, because what they said there, um, if you'll remember, was that three emails could make a difference. Yes. Right. And I was thinking, I have a Facebook page that's like hundreds of people, so we can definitely do three emails. <laughs> um, so I really yes, felt yeah. like, okay, we can really make a difference at this level. Yeah, I mean, I was I was so struck by that, by, by that, and that was kind of I think unanimous throughout the panel. I'm mm-hmm. saying that if they get three emails on a particular bill, that's a lot. Right. And they pay exactly. Attention. That's right. That's right. So now at each of our meetings that we have monthly, we send postcards um, on state legislation, and so hundreds of postcards descend upon Hartford, and they are really struck by this. I think it's it's such a that's such a great thing to know that democracy still works yeah you know? that's right exactly you know and sort of you know reminded of like the, the saying that decisions are made by those who show up and mm-hmm. if showing up means sending an email or making a phone call even better probably or going to a hearing if you can get up there or submitting testimony i mean these are all it's great to know that that's that that, that can be the extent of showing up that that can be impactful yeah exactly and i think you know we've always thought that voting you know was right. our right and our, the way we engage with the political process and I've always been frustrated by the lobbying culture of the government, mm-hmm. but we can be our own lobbyists. That's the beauty of this, right? Is like we're building a lobbying organization, sort of. Exactly. Um, except it's, you know, it's, it's uh, without all of the dirty overtones. Exactly. You know. It's just allowing p- 
you know, normal people like us to engage in the political system and and trying to just say, hey, there's a bill coming up, write some testimony or call your representative about how you support this. Exactly. You know, the other thing I was struck by at that conversation was the degree to which, you know, I, I thought that I was going to be sort of showing up there as a moderator who would sort of have to rein in my own sort of progressive views, um, you know, because I, I was expecting that there was going to be a progressive group of people showing up, but also the you know sort of the more quote unquote mainstream or whatever cartoonish vision I had of that. But what I was struck by was that everybody in the room, it probably uh, in, including and probably most particularly the legislators, were we were all on the same page and we were yeah. all on the extremely progressive end. I mean, we were talking about abolishing for all intents and purposes, you know, incarceration as this tool of first resort. I mean, we were talking, you know, we were, we were talking mm-hmm. about using it as, as a tool of last resort. We were talking about legalizing marijuana. We were talking about we were talking about ranked choice voting. I mean, these are, you know, this, this that was an incredible that, that, that was the biggest eye opener to me in that conversation. Yeah, I think in New Haven, it, we're in a particularly progressive pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, in the state, for sure. So, why, do, when you sort of think about that and reflect on that, why do you think that is? I mean, um, well, I think that um, in part, um, there's a lot of people that are engaged with universities. Universities tend to bring people that want to educate and share their mentoring and that sort of thing. So that brings a certain type of person um, into New Haven with all the universities that are in this town. Um, I read somewhere that there's more nonprofits in New Haven than any other city, maybe. Um, and so I think that speaks to just like the kind hearted nature of people here. Yeah. And I also think in New Haven, we have a very interesting um, sort of mix of people. Um, there's so many different groups and the diversity in New Haven is really remarkable. I think there was this article also that said, that New Haven is the picture of what America is yes, in the yeah. diversity, right? And so I think, I think that, that was uh, Nate Silver's blog, right? Exactly. He analyzed sort of the, the demographics of uh, the 100 top um, MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas by population, and then compared those demographic indicators to the U.S. overall. And lo and behold, New Haven is number one. Right. We, are, we, are, we are America here. It's, it's surprise. It's not some small town in Nebraska. <laughs> right. It's New Haven. Yeah. And know? so I think, I mean, that's, I think, why... Um, the large population of cities have are are mostly progressive is because we see and interact yeah. with a diverse number of people, and we just realize that diversity makes us better. Yeah, I mean, and and, and literally, it's not it's not a cliche in New Haven to say that, regardless of any any group that's being attacked by anybody. Um, it's not a cliche to say these are our friends, these are our neighbors, these are members of our community. Uh, you know leave them alone, leave us alone. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I think we're also so blessed that not, like, not only are we most reflective demographically of, of the U S overall, but we are, we are a small city. I mean, we're 160,000 people. So it is, it is kind of possible to sort of almost know everybody here. I mean, you know, you kind of have this, you know, the, it, we're, I think we're a much more tightly connected city than, than, something the size of New York could possibly be just because Mm -hmm. of numbers. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's bubbles. um, And that's one thing I've been very excited about um, in the post-election sort of enthusiasm is I think some of those bubbles are merging and um, there's been more interaction and and more engagement in the community across certain boundaries that might have been there before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I can even just... 
thinking back to some of um, some of the gatherings that you've organized um, at Action Together. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it firsthand. Right, exactly. So I think that's exciting to me. Definitely. So, so sort of looking forward in terms of what we what we do, you know, to sort of turn this collective th- these collective feelings into collective actions. I know you have quite an agenda. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, basically, our goal with Action Together Connecticut is just to keep our membership engaged in the political process. Um, and this process can be frustrating. Um, it can be confusing and hard to navigate. And so we want and even a little intimidating in some and, ways. Intimidating, exactly. And so we want to kind of break that down for people to show like, hey, we're just normal people. We can engage with it. So can you mm. give people that don't have a lot of time um, to sort of engage with it, um, but also to bring people together around issues that they're interested in. So, for instance, in the next um, few months, we're going to be focusing on criminal justice Um and so we're going to have um, a couple of events um, to try to to bring people to educate people as well as um, to provide a community conversation around those issues. Um, and we're also in the next month going to have um, a discussion about the Connecticut budget um, with Kevin Limbo, who's the state comptroller who controls the budget. Um, and and so we're excited to talk to him about how he thinks we can try to get a balanced budget in Connecticut and use um, the resources that we do have to support social programs that facilitate the Connecticut's and and, um, residents. Um, In addition, we're supporting a campaign school on March 25th. um, And our, we just learned today that Nancy Wyman, the Lieutenant governor is going to be the keynote speaker. Oh, great. Um, And so we're excited to get people. We have an activist track, um, a candidate track, as well as a campaign um, manager track. Right. And so we're excited to get people um, involved with the campaign school. Yeah, that looks like a terrific event. Yeah, we're excited about that. You know, and I, I really, I think it's um, also such a great idea to have the three tracks too, because I mean, of course, not not everyone who wants to engage is going to run for office. But right, exactly. At the same time, I think it's so important to, to demystify that process and show that it actually you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we got really involved with, um, in the last month was the special elections Mm. that happened in Connecticut on February 25th. Um, so there were three special elections, two for Senate, um, and one for state representative. Um, and there was a lot of focus across the country on this Greg Cava race, Mm. um, in the 32nd district, um, seat for state Senate, um, because it's a very Republican district and um, he had lost pretty handily in November yeah. by 11,000 votes. It was more to two, more than a two to one ratio, I believe. Exactly. Um, and so um, there were people from California, from Europe calling voters um, to get them out to the polls for his, his race. And while he still lost, mm-hmm. um, he only lost by 2000 votes at mm. that um and so I think that was actually a win for us, even though he didn't actually win. Yeah. Um, because I really think it spoke to like using this enthusiasm into trying to make sure that Connecticut um, has blue candidates is what we're hoping. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it, it also maybe um, maybe in some way also gives us permission to do what uh, a lot of a lot of Democrats, a lot a lot of people who have been Democrats for a long time are sort of pulling for, which is which is to actually move left, which is to embrace our sort of progressive base and not not interpret, not misinterpret 
Trump's win as a sign that we that we need to move um, ideologically closer to uh, clo- you know more conservative. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. yeah, and yet at the same time, we we clearly need to do a much much better job of of taking our values and listening to people who voted for Obama in 2012 and Trump and Trump in 2016. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I do think that there are a lot of real issues that neither party has addressed. Mm. Right. I mean, I think that there is a problem with that globalization has created in our country that most people that want to stay in their local town cannot get a job that's equal to what their parents had. Right. You know, and so how we solve that, I think we're going to have to be creative. And I don't really see on a national level that either of the parties is really kind of addressing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the Democrats are sort of the the the, the less clueless party in, in my mind. But but certainly when you when you think about, you know, when I sort of reflect on the feelings that that people who voted for Trump expressed, you know, I, I know that by and large, most of these people um, are not voting for him because of the, you know, because of his racist, sexist, xenophobic rhetoric. It's there is there is they, they have anger for legitimate reasons that are mm-hmm. understandable um, and a vote for this outsider candidate who's going to tear the whole thing down is it, it, it's not a decision that I agree with, but I completely understand the feelings behind it, mm-hmm. and I yeah. think, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders was so popular, right? It was, he was seen as a similar type of candidate. Absolutely. So, Mm -hmm. so this is a question that I don't have an answer to. And I, and I ask this sort of of everyone who's involved in, uh, in, in politics or community organizing or, or anything in between, how do we take what we're doing here and bring it to the, even, even the parts of Connecticut, um, that mm. that that went red in 2016. I mean, like literally the next town over, East Haven. Yeah, like, not very far yeah. away. Yeah. You know, what? How do we how do we bring how do we bring these conversations to them, or how do we bring them into our conversations? How do we how do we create create this dialogue so that we can sort of, you know, move the Democratic Party there or replace it with something better or whatever we need to do yeah. to address the the real the real need in people's actual lived experiences. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. I don't know if we need to have conversations. I feel like we need to be practically giving them skills to get jobs that allow them to be happy. Mm. Mm -hmm. That is going to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we need to be creative. Right. And I just think that that's going to solve it. Right. And not that that's easy. um, But I just think we practically have to do something that is going to help people feel like they see the future um, in a better light than they do now, right? And 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 maybe even get to the point where the future looks better than the past. Yeah, that's what we have to have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the futurist in me, when I start to go down that that road, I start to think about how in the next five to ten years, self driving cars will probably be a thing. We're going to have just with that three million trucking jobs are going to be, you know, they're 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 going to be on their way out. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, and so I start to think about things like guaranteed minimum income or, you know, sort of moving, almost moving past the, um, the, the, the job is the only way to mm. be, um, you know, to, to have, to have your basic needs met. 
Yeah. In this in this time of transition, anyway, as technology continues to disrupt, as technology, not immigrants, by the way, tends to yeah, keep, exactly keeps disrupting jobs. Yeah, I'm, but I do think that we could be creative about the type of skills we give people. Mm. And, you know, just like we have schools, technical schools for learning how to be a hairdresser or work, be a mechanic. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can have technical schools that teach coding. Yes. Or teach skills in biotechnology. Um, And these kind of skills are the skills of the future. And if we can, you know, sort of fold those into um, programs that don't require a college education. Right. And are you know, practical for everyday people in quotation marks, of course, I think, you know, those are going to, that's how we solve this. Right. You know, I, I, Hey, I mean, as a, as a, as somebody who's constantly trying to hire software engineers and finding that there aren't enough, that's, that sounds like music to my ears for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and clearly, I mean, you know, even, even right here in New Haven, we have, you know, we, we have, uh, I mean, even if you just look at the, at the population of high school kids who are not being taught, anything in the anything near software engineering we could have 10 mark zuckerbergs coming through um you know graduating each year we would never know it that's right exposure that's right you know i even find this in our undergraduate education at yale we're Mm. not to the level we're not teaching them the skills that they really need Mm. um and i think you know part of it is that it's it's advancing really quickly um and i think but we have to start giving kids the skills that they need and adults so we need sort of like a retraining program um to give people the skills that they can be successful in this world absolutely and and i think we also kind of have to recognize that uh that that when we we, when when i use the word software engineer when i when i use that label to describe a role right now that sort of that conjures this this image of somebody who um could you know, write a driver for, uh, you know, for, for a piece of hardware at a very low level. I mean, and that's, that's actually not what we really need. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm. you know, there, there's definitely room for, for people who can, um, you know, who, 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 who can code on a more basic level working with people who have, you know, who have the four year CS degree or, you know, and, and we can create, we can create sort of a, an ecosystem here with that, that, that brings that, that, that casts a wider net, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, I was really struck by this um, movie, Hidden Figures. Mm. Um, did you see that I movie? I did, yeah. And how there was this role that was, what was it called? The um, the computers, yeah. right? Yeah, And this was a secretarial role, right? Right. That um, wasn't that elite. Mm-hmm. But these were the women that actually learned to code, right? Because they realized that this was the future, Exactly. And sort of this is what we need to to really be thinking about is what is the future and how can we give people the skills to be able to be successful? Absolutely. I mean, and I think that that's a great um, that's sort of a great analogy in that in this. I mean, the, in the movie you know portrays three um, African-American women who are initially hired into this role that, you know, that where they're doing sort of numerical computations all day long. But as the movie portrays it, um, each of them transcends that really pretty quickly um right and they're able you know not easily but but quickly because of their own their own brilliance and yeah that's right and so i think that that, i think that there's sort of an analogy there that if we have if we have uh just exposure to coding even at the level of ht i mean 
not that HTML is, is code, but even just exposing people to some markup languages like HTML and CSS and then getting into some really basic languages like JavaScript, exactly. then we can, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a route Totally. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And even if I had someone that could write to HTML for me, like that would be so great. Right. At some level. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I'm just remembering a conversation that we were having a couple of weeks ago about you were talking about, you know, sort of speaking of skills and what we are teaching high school students and undergraduates and, and what we're not. I remember you talking about the the, the scientific skepticism being something that is sort of that isn't taught with as wide an applicability as it needs to be <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah so yeah i mean i think that this is i think but i do think it's a skill that takes a long time to develop um but it's very clear to me that most of our politicians haven't been taught these skills um mm. And I think there's also a need to see data and evidence mm. as a scientist. We're trained to, you know, we have to evaluate the evidence mm -hmm. and see whether we believe that this is telling us a result. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that that's something that most people are lacking. Um, and, and it's in part our education system. Um, and so this is one thing I really emphasize in my undergraduate um classes is that you know we have to figure out how do we know something if something if someone says a fact you always have to backtrack and say how do we know and then you have to look at what who the sources are that are telling you that information absolutely absolutely uh, and i mean so how when you're when you're when you have a group of say younger undergraduates i mean how do you how do you invite that out of them how do you how do you encourage them to i mean is there do you have a specific you know a particular way of sort of getting at that well i i tell them a fact so you know in in biology especially there's lots of facts and yeah. so we say okay we know that the hair grows this way for mm -hmm. instance um and and they'll just write it down as an okay she's telling me this i trust mm. that she's the source right but then i say okay wait let me show you how we know that right let's look at the data and let's interpret the data mm. And, you know, you can do this with anything. You can do this with me saying that Iris is an immigrant refugee organization. Is she right? I don't know. Let's look. And so you can Google it and find out that I'm right. Mm -hmm. But it's it's everything is like that. Yeah, I'm sort of just smiling because I spent in the time that I spent in theoretical physics, a lot of the, you know, our evidence came from, you know, thought experiments, which is to say, you just we just kind of, you know, daydream and make it up, you know, so which is, yeah. you know. Useful, but not quite in the same way that you're describing. Yeah, yeah. But everything, you know, I mean, when, and I, you know, when the weapons of mass destruction were a big thing at, mm. under the Bush era, I was like, there's no data. There's no evidence. This is not true yet. Right. And everyone in Congress was like, yes, let's go to war. And I thought, well, we don't even have the data. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it sort of feels like there is, um, you know, if nothing else, you know, taking some serious science courses as an undergraduate, you can, you know, or, or hell, at this point, even on Coursera, I mean, you know, there's, if, it, if, if nothing else, it can at least help someone become comfortable. It helped me become comfortable with three sort of Boolean states of, of truth. There's, it's, you know, there's, there's true, it's false, and there's, I don't know. And right. realizing that most most things are actually in that category I, of some that's on some right. spectrum. Yeah, that's right. And 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 overcoming a very natural sort of 
you know, early discomfort with that. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And I guess that's also a place that scientists are very comfortable being is in the uncomfortable, like, we don't know the answer yet. Right. Because uh, we spend most of our time there. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And it would be, I, I couldn't agree with you more that, I mean, if we, if I would love to see the, I would love to see so much of what science and engineering as disciplines um, have to offer reflected in the political process and the legislative process. And, you know, I'd love to see, you know, just, just, you know, sort of the engineering process of sort of deciding like, what are, what are the, what are the features that we're trying to build into the mm -hmm, system? Mm -hmm. Then let's go actually rigorously test and see which versions of this, of policy actually result in that. Right. In that, right. In yeah. That, in those goals. Being yeah. Achieved. That's a good idea. So I guess, so, I mean, so, so now, um, so, so we talked about, um, justice reform and the budget, um, Immigration and now there's also the environment, I guess. Yeah, on yeah. So um, this summer, um, starting in May, we're going to start our um, environment focal um, area, and so um, we're going to have an in-person meeting on the environment in May um, to be scheduled, um, and then we're also um, going to set up a team as we did for the Iris race for the Rock to Rock run um, that supports um, lots of different nonprofits in. Um, in New Haven, but also um, just environmental um, activists a as well in New Haven. Um, and so we're going to set up a team for that and fundraise for Rock to Rock also. Oh, that's, that's great. I, you know, and I, I, as I'm, as I'm sitting here sort of, you know, sort of looking at these topic areas, like one of the things that sort of seems exciting is that they, they are all connected on, on, on very fundamental levels, but also on a super practical level that, I mean, we're, we're in this time of a budget crisis at the state level and, Meanwhile, we have um, we have we have carbon tax legislation on the table, which mm -hmm. could potentially help to you know and 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 there and we have to recognize there is no silver bullet with the budget. So anytime somebody says, "Yeah, but that won't fix it," like taxing right. you know taxing marijuana won't fix it. Well, first of all, I, I'd like to you know point out like I don't I, I think it's an open question, uh, you know, how much marijuana we can already <laughs> smoke, you know, here. So right, right. This is this is this is one of those facts that's in that we're not quite we're sure not yet sure. category. Exactly. <laughs> we should probably test it. Right. Um. But but too, I mean th that that sort of knee jerk reaction of oh well that won't fix it that won't fix it well nothing by itself is going to fix That's it right. I mean dude, we have to try you know we have to put together a constellation of things that that in and of themselves are worth doing that we should do in and of themselves and that also happen to financially a... support the state yeah exactly exactly you know so so and and, and I and I see you know so so obviously the carbon tax is a huge is a huge win there obviously. Right. Um, legalizing and taxing marijuana is a huge win on on justice reform, but also just just dialing back, uh, you know, incarceration as this as this uh, you know sort of tool of first resort. And I mean, we're spending you know we're spending untold you know tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars incarcerating people every year. I right. Mean, when we have a budget crisis. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I think you know this is as um, the documentary Thirteenth points out. You know, sort of. One in three black men are incarcerated in this country. Mm. It's unbelievable. At, at some point in their lives. Yes. Just, yeah. It's it's it's, it's, unbelievable. it's unbelievable. And so I do think that this is a major issue that we again have need to solve. And it's helping whoever owns these prisons, right? I mean, right. I mean, and that's not okay. <laughs> it's definitely not. I mean, to me, it's 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 uh it, it's it's about as morally reprehensible as it gets. Um, and 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 I think it's important to recognize that even though even even in even in states that don't 
have nominally for-profit uh, incarceration facilities, there still is an industry exactly. behind it. Exactly. That's know? right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is, um, you know, the, 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 I have no problem with the people who work in those industries wanting to have jobs, I, I, but, but they have to be different jobs and we have to yeah. help, you know. Right. Help them find find jobs that exactly don't involve destroying people's lives. That's right. Um, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, I mean, it, I, I've said this a lot, too, but I take it really personally because, you know, again, my grandparents went through the Holocaust. They were survivors of I mean, they had their freedom taken away from them for for years. And the truth is they were really never the same after that. Mm mm. Um, and it's kind of, you know, and, and I grew up in, in my house with this mantra of, you know, never again, which in my mind means to anybody um right and not to any degree yeah yeah i mean i do think that it's it's just destructive to society and um the people the individuals but also to society because we're taking people out that could be you know supporting society in some way absolutely and you know you, you know you what you watch the um you know the six o'clock news or whatever. I mean, the, the, what, what, I, I hate uh, going to uh, a uh, you know to, to any office. You know when you have to sit there in a waiting room and you and they have the news on and 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 you know what you especially the local news because what what I what I see is you know they they have a couple of couple of nice little stories about some whatever, but for the most part it's mugshots, right? And they're perpetuating stereotypes and they're also they're also sort of saying, hey, watch out. There's a lot of really bad, nasty people out there. Exactly. You know, and we've we've got your back. I think one of the little, you know, one, one of the one of the stations <laughs> even says that. You know, right, we've right. got your back. You know, and we're going to show you all these bad people. Mm-hmm. And um, and and the reality is so far from that. That there are there are dangerous people, but they're few and far between. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's it's, and that's been happening for forty years, right? With, 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 right, starting with the intentionally racist war on drugs. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just, I don't watch it. We don't even have TV anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, same. I mean, that's why it's such a shock to, you know, to, when to be... When you have to see it, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, it's wow, still this, there. This, this used to be... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and to, and to realize how, how inured to it I was growing up, you know, to, to see the news, to see these mugshots, and, you know, and, 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 and generally the people in the mugshots look a certain way. Mm-hmm. It, it, how is that not going uh, to lead to, to, you know, to a stereotype, to, you know, to, to, you know, to internalized racial profiling? Definitely. So, yeah, I just did this, this story of, of there, there are good people and bad people, and the good people need to protect themselves from the bad people is such a... You know, and, 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 and now that we know, you know, now that we have Nixon staffers coming forward and saying, no, it's not an accident. It's not that the war on drugs was accidentally racist. It was intentional. We were trying to marginalize people who vote for Democrats. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all intentional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess... When, when looking forward to, this is another question that I ask. I ask this of pretty much everybody. I don't have the answer. When we, when we look forward to 2018 and 2020, I mean, we have, we have, we, we have a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a lot of activation that we didn't have before. We still have gerrymandered districts. We still have voter suppression. We still have uh, you know, a first-past-the-post way of voting and the noise of early money and early polling that tends to favor uh, candidates who don't mind taking money from really big, powerful, rich, entrenched interests. What do we What do we do now to start overcoming these systemic barriers toward electing people who who share our progressive 
values and and want to create policies that 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 actually recognize the the inherent value of every single human being and 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 bring us all up together. Yeah, I mean, I think um again, we're lucky in Connecticut that gerrymandering is not a huge issue mm. um as it is in other places. Um and so I mean, I really think we have to focus in the next 2 years until 2018 on getting more um Democratic candidates elected to the state Senate and to the state house. Mm. Um, so, you know, for the first time in a hundred years, the state Senate is split 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. Right. And so I think we have to solve that. Um, and that's very practical and we can definitely do it with this momentum. Absolutely. And the campaign school is, so that's on the 25th, right? Correct. March 25th. Mm-hmm. Great. And um, for people listening, do you happen to have the URL where they can register? Yeah. So it's ctcampaignschool.eventbrite, event, and then B-R-I-T-E dot com. Um, and you can sign up and it's $50. Um, but if you need financial support, I so- sponsored someone to go for free. And I know several other people are also paying for scholarships. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a great day. That's awesome. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's certainly the, the, um, when, when you, when you think about getting more Democrats elected more and, and truly progressive Democrats elected, mm-hmm. I mean, we need to, there are plenty of people out there who feel really strongly about, about these issues. I think we just need all to recognize that we're not alone and that there are resources to help us, um, yeah, get engaged, and we just have to support the election of people that will support our values. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so with now, it, there's also an event coming up on the 21st that I think you mentioned with um, uh, with Kevin Lumbo, the comptroller. Uh, where where is that happening? When? So that's going to be um, at the Worthington Hooker um, Public School um, on Whitney Avenue, um, and that is going to be 7 p.m. on March 21st. Great. And um, how um, how do people get involved with Action Together? Yeah, so we have a website, so actiontogetherct.org. Um, so this is a website that houses all of the statewide um, county chapters that we have throughout the state. Um, and so and the New Haven County chapter um, is primarily using Facebook, um, but we also have a Twitter account um, and um, this this web page is another way to get involved. Great, and so anyone can join the Facebook group and mm-hmm. and the yeah. you know or follow the Facebook page or whatever. Yeah, I mean we do vet our members mm-hmm. to make sure that we have we don't have trolls um, and that um, people ha- are sharing our values on the page. Um, just so we see keep the community um, supportive and positive and functional. Yeah. Um, but you know it's a very simple. If we can't see your identity on your Facebook profile, we send you a message and ask. Uh, some questions and it's just more to make sure we don't have hateful people joining our group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a handful of that, not a whole lot, you know, mm-hmm. but on, on the what now group also, um, you know, because we, you know, I kind of just like let anyone in, who, okay. you know, and, and yeah. yeah, I've definitely seen that. So with that. I think that's really smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, so, and are there, are there any other events uh, coming up also that you want to mention that get the word out on? Or? Yeah. So on um, April 7th, um, we'll be showing the 13th, that documentary that I mentioned at the Keefe Center in Hamden. Um, and that's going to be at starting at 6 p.m. Um, we'll also have a panel to discuss there. 
Um, April 18th, we'll also have a panel on criminal justice to discuss the issues that are brought up by this documentary, as well as other issues um, in New Haven. Um, And, you know, I think that's it. The campaign school is really like a big thing on our radar coming up. Absolutely. That seems like a really great way to uh, to get involved, a really great way to just jump right in. Yeah. And and get, you know, meet the people, the representatives in in our state, um, as well um, as in in the administration with uh, Nancy Wyman, the lieutenant governor being there, um, as well as meeting other people in the community that are interested in and being involved in activism. Absolutely. It's a great community. And Mm -hmm. it's um, it's I'm just grateful to you for being one of the people who's nucleating this and, and yes. bringing us all together. I always feel better after coming to an Action Together uh, gathering than I, than I did when I walked in. <laughs> thank you. Val, thanks so much for being on yeah, the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Okay.